minimum wage and they're giving hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And I just felt like God said that he will reward you. And that in some things you need to ask him and say, I'm not going to do this, Lord, until you provide. Because you've done so many things without that provision, trusting for that provision. But I just felt like God said, you've passed that test of faith. You actually need to ask him for some things in advance now. Lord, give me that before. Give me this before. You know, that, that your journey, particularly with finances, yeah, it's always a faith journey when you're in church stuff, eh? You know, but I, I do feel like God said he wants to liberate you from the anxiety of finances and that stuff. So I hope that's okay. I was um, cracking up with Jacob before. Because the last time I saw him, he was running security at a conference. And I said, you know, he's just a victim of racial profiling, you know, like, um, and so I was just thinking about, you know, that conference where they're looking for security. Uh, if you're white and skinny, you just need to volunteer for security. Yeah, you know, we need to flip the tide, you know, and look at anyone that's brown and big and they're like, oh, yeah, security. It's like, nah, what about the real skinny white fellas? You know, you, you might be like, you don't look like you're very, very tough. And then it plays mind games, you know, like. Maybe he's got like a black belt in Kung Fu or something, but really he just plays Xbox, but no one will know. So, um, but I, I, I do have a word for you, bro. It's beyond security. Um, bro, I just felt like, I, I feel like you have to write. You have to create music. And, and I mean this, I, said, I made this comment before, I was like, you know, anyone can be a covers band. And I just felt like God said, so you will squander your gift if you, if you play everyone else's music for the rest of your days. Uh, you know, like, I've been to places where I've been so impressed with musical ability, but felt nothing. You know what I mean? I, I just strum and shout. That's all I do. I'm just like, ah, chang, 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 chang. You know, but I, I remember Cindy Ruakere, she said to me, it doesn't matter about, it's not about how high or how loud or anything, it's about what you believe that you carry and whether you believe that it's important enough to be expressed. And, bro, I just really feel like, you know, Jesus said that, he goes, I must share the kingdom of God, the good news. I must share what's within me, because it's good news for everyone else. So if it's not expressed, it's not good news. It's just trapped. And I just felt, bro, that for you, that, um, yeah, there's, a, a, um, I guess, a ministry of, reconciliation of waiata, of all this, of worship that's in you that it can't be locked up into playing everyone else's stuff. You actually have to write. And that's part of what I believe God wants to do in this place as well. So let me tell you about um, Tudotini or formerly Link. Uh, whether you've heard um, of the album or not, that's okay. Um, but we're a, we're a little church. We're about 150 people in the corner of Hamilton. And um, we, we made this album, really. And... Um, it's been sung all over New Zealand. It's real weird for us. But the, the, this is how it works in God's kingdom. I was at this conference, and, you know, the, the language that they were using around significance was real interesting to me. For churches that were around 1,000 people, they were leading a really significant church. For churches that were around 500, they were leading a church that was growing into significance, for churches that are around 250, it was like God's hand is on their lives. And for less than that, it was like they're trying really hard. And um, that's, let me just tell you what, I just want to say this, that's bull. That, that's not actually how God's kingdom works. Actually, we are a tiny community in the corner of Hamilton that have believed in the sound that's within us, and we let it go. 
And our significance comes from believing in what we have to say in the story of things, not believing that we have to become an empire. Because who knows that when we become an empire, it's usually when we get most, most in trouble. The church, when it was persecuted, was alive. When it became the empire, it got weird. It got filled with power and greed and hunger for things that God never intended. Significance comes when you know who you are and you know where you are and what you have to say in the midst of that. So I have a word for this community as well. Psalm 56, 8, it says this. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And when I was praying about this, I actually, I really believe that um, God was going to give you guys people who needed somewhere to finally let that sorrow have space to breathe so that hope could come. And I, this place is not going to be a place of sorrow, but of hope but it's going to be a place that's going to allow sorrow to breathe. Does that make sense? And so for a lot of people that are, that who, who knows that hurt people hurt people, right? So when people do stupid things, it's not just because they're eggs, it's because they're hurting. Yeah, they're, they're mummy inside. Their heart has been burdened with grief. And Often at church, we've been like, climb that mountain, extend those tent pegs, victory, charge, rah, kill the enemy. And it's like, you know, you, people come into that and like, what the heck is this? I can't relate to any of this rubbish, you know? I'm going to go climb a mountain, am I? Extend my tent pegs, you know? It's like a language, it's like Chinese, really, yeah, you know? What, what are we doing? But I don't know, we're just, rah, you know? But people are hurting you know, I, I was talking to um, Joseph before, and we were just talking about, you know, in, in America, there's a pastor who committed suicide two weeks ago because there's no place for his sorrow, even in the church that he led. There has to be a place for our sorrow. Our communities become alive when we make room for the tears. We catch them in the bottle. We write them in the book. We say they have been acknowledged and seen. And there's going to be something that's going to happen as a result of that. All right, I'm going to share part of our story, okay? So about nine years ago, I moved to Hamilton with about seven people. And I moved right into the hood. So um, I didn't do that intentionally because um, in Palmerston North, where I grew up, it was really cheap rent. And when I moved to Hamilton, I was like, no, I'm going to pay exactly the same. So the same as what I got. And um, <laughs> I moved into the street where right next door we had the biggest drug dealer in Hamilton. And we had Mungle Mob, Black Power, Mungle Mob, another tinny house. And then we had right in the corner White Power because, you know, we didn't want to leave anyone out. And then Black Power and then a whole lot of wannabe Cripsters and, you know, all the rest, you know. They were Cripsters until a Mungle Mob came down the corner and was like, oh, Bloods, gee, you know, like <laughs> Transformers, Robots in Disguise. Um, so we moved down there and in the first week, uh, I, I pulled a family out of their home that was getting the bash by dad. You know, so I was pretty young, you know, and usually when you think, you know, someone's going psycho, beating up the family, you ring the police. I don't know what I was really thinking. It's like, what should I do? I don't know, I'll just walk into the house and say, you want to come back to my place? When I think about it now, I just think that that's relatively stupid. But that's what I did. So I walked over the road, and I, I didn't knock because, of the, you know, why would I? Um, <laughs> so I walked in and I said, hey, do you guys want to come with me? And so they did. 
And they came over and they stayed the night. And um, we had a barbecue the next day and that's how we started our church. The plan was to wait for six months to get to know the place. And, you know, and we've had this real bizarre journey, really, where we've got these people in these vast extremes of society, um, really. You know, some of our young people, some of the journeys that they've been on is really, really full on. Their level of abuse and violence and all those things that they've had to go through has been extreme, but it's been a privilege to catch the tears. Yeah? Yeah, it's a privilege to, to be in that space, to be able to do that. One of the first things that we asked in our church planting sort of experience was, what does it mean to be here in New Zealand? We, we were tired of the model that we'd gone on. Every church, we go, we do exactly the same things. And the only way we knew how to answer that question was to go, what has God done in the past? What is the first story that's here? And the first story that's an Aotearoa is a Māori story. And so we thought, well, we need to go back and we need to learn about this first story because if we can't acknowledge the first story, how can any other story take their rightful place in this place as well, right? If we just skip that part and go, oh, yeah, that, well, then we've missed out on what God's been doing a long time ago, a long, long time ago. Do you know that a guy called Toiroa prophesied a long, long time ago, before any Pākehā were here, and he, he prophesied and he uh, wove together pants out of flax, put on pants before he'd ever seen pants. He wove hats, put hats on. He uh, got mussel shells and he scooped out the mussel and he filled them with dirt and then he got little sticks that had been in the fire and he put them on top and the steam coming off like the steamships that he'd never seen before. And he prophesied about this good God that was coming, but that the people would still be oppressed. And I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Now, what happens when you find your sound? When you are released from the imitation of everything else? I'll give you a real great example. I lived in the middle of Africa in a place called Burundi, Congo, for a year. And um, I remember going to this church service. And it was a huge church, you know, like eight, ten thousand 10,000 people. And I was pumped because I'd heard so much about African music. And I was like, oh, this is going to be epic. And I get there. And then the first flippin' song, they sing Shout to the Lord. You know, like this Australian hit song. I was like, I've come like thousands of miles to hear a bloomin' Australian song. You know, like, and do you know what they did? They started singing it, this translated version of it. And do you know what the people started doing? They just started dancing like white people. You know, like, shout to the Lord, all the earth. You know, and I was just dying inside, like, this is terrible. And then the worship leader come out in the next song, and he sang, and it just went, boof. And people are running up and down, you know, like, booties shaking everywhere. Jackets are ripped off and thrown. Like, you know, I was like, this is what I've came, get out of here, Australia, you know. But, but it was like the sound when they sung their own song, unlocked, right? Unlocked. And New Zealand has been trapped for a long, long time, singing everybody else's song, telling everybody else's stories. You know that when we have a conference, what's the main thing that we often do? We get speakers from everywhere else. Because we don't back the story that we have to tell here. 
we're more confident in what comes out of Hillsong, what comes out of Bethel, what comes out of Israel Health, and what comes out of whatever than we are because we don't know the story that's here and how we fit into that story because it's been too hard to tackle, so we just don't tackle it full stop. And I want to say this as well, that part of the story towards the Māori world is part of reclaiming New Zealand as a Pacific nation. Do you know that? People in New Zealand think that we are more a part of Europe than we are a part of the Pacific Islands. Do you know migration story either puts that Māori came from either Tahiti or Savaii? Those are the two locations. But um, the migration story says that they traveled all around all the time in relationship with each other constantly. There was a, a, a relationship between people that was and yet colonization has actually divided the Māori story from the Pacific one as well. And so yet we can't acknowledge the first story. So every story comes in and doesn't know how to take their place, right? This is what it says. When you know where it says that you were made in the image of God. That word image is this. It means icon. Uh, and it says this, a prototype of which it not merely resembles, but from which it is drawn Icon, then, is more than a shadow. Rather, it is a replication. So this is what that means. You're made in the image of God doesn't just mean that, like, you're beautiful on the outside, but it means that who you are, your culture, is part of that image. Your DNA, your design, is part of that image. And unfortunately, my people have misunderstood this for a long, long time. And they've thrown things out there that have diminished people's culture because it has been different. And so what has been different has been demonized. And we've done that again and again and again and again. I don't understand it's wrong. First reaction, fear. Don't understand it's wrong. I'll give you a classic case of, of the colonial parts of me coming out to play. So I'm married to this beautiful um, Ngati Mahanga girl. And... Um, when we go past Topuri Maunga in Waikato, we stop at the awa of Waikato. And she always stops and we pull over and she goes down to the river. She puts her hands in the water and she prays. And the first time she did it, I said, oh, who are you praying to? And she said, if you don't know that, you're an idiot. You don't know who you've married. You know, basically, like, she goes, yeah, I'm just praying to the demons. <laughs> I just, that's I'm just, enter me, demons, you know, like... What an idiot, you know. But because I had put no time into thinking about it, I've gone, bad, bad, different, different, bad, bad, unsure, bad, bad. When actually water right throughout Scripture is this beautiful picture of cleansing. So she puts her hands in the water and becomes attached to the river, becomes attached to the water, attached to the whenua, attached to who God is praise for her family, praise for people. Oh, and I would think to ask, who are you praying to? I would think to discourage that act because I thought it was different. You know what I mean? Now, the, the All Blacks played last night and they carved up, yep, kapai, but well, I, was, I couldn't really enjoy that because of the Warriors. So, um, oh, how long, how long? right. We're hanging in there. I said to someone, I just can't support anyone else. I'm in too deep. I'm in too deep. 
But when the All Blacks perform the haka, what is it about all of New Zealand, whether you're Māori, non-Māori, Pacific Island, Indian, Asian, whatever, that you're like, yeah, New Zealand, choo! You know, like, that's, that's us. People all over the world, you know, they get drunk, and what do they do? You know, like, <laughs> terrible. But, you know, it's the thing of, this is where I'm from, this is what I connect to. We see it all the time, there's this deep pride in the little things, but not pride in the whole, because we don't actually know much of the story at all, right? We don't know much at all. Who knows that the gospel spread in Aotearoa? Ruatara went over, he went to visit the king, and, um, or the queen, or the king, the king, yeah, the king in England, and he went over to get an audience with the king, and the king wouldn't see him, so he came back. Samuel Marsden found Ruatara on one of the boats, badly beaten by the sailors. So he took Ruatara back to his place in Sydney, or in Canberra, and he took him there, and they, he mentored him along in that journey. He spent a lot of time talking about the Bible, talking about Scripture. So Ruatara prepared this way of, all right, Samuel Marsden, you need to come over. Now, Samuel Marsden wasn't all that. He had some beautiful ideas about midwifing the Māori nation to change the world, to reach the world. But he also had civilizing ideas that made it that in order to have the gospel, you need to become civilized like English society. So he came over and he preached the gospel, and all these Ngāpuhi peeps are there, and they do this beautiful te uh, o Ngāpuhi from which they talk about making room for this new message, this new gospel. And he shares this message, and you think, oh, that's it. Revival is going to open up. 20 years, two people gave their hearts to Jesus. One of them, because they were marrying a missionary, and they got divorced three months later. So one person went, yeah, I'm all in. Woo, revival. <laughs> and then we have a slave from Ngāti Puro that was in Ngāpuhi that got released, went back to Ngāti Puro, and the gospel spread when Māori could tell their own story. The greatest revival in history per capita happened in this land. How amazing is that, right? So then we fast forward all these years and Henry and William Williams, who the guys who translated the treaty, they were down in the Wellington area and they went to sail back up to Taranaki and they got blown offshore back down to the South Island. And when they got down to the South Island, they saw that the New Zealand company was stealing massive amounts of land. So they, they travel up, they walk from Wellington all the way back to Tauranga, stopping at every marae and telling them what was happening. They were deeply concerned, worried about what was happening. So when they get the chance to write the treaty, do you know that uh, the, the, uh, one of the chiefs, I can't remember his name, but he said to them, it's not for us to decide, it's for our fathers. So they had a deep relationship with these guys. Not all of the missionaries were bad. There were some really beautiful people in the midst of that story. And so they, and, and the missionaries say, yeah, you, you, you got a sign. Thinking that this document would be honored, right? The document was not honored, and hence the beginning of the tension between the church and the Māori world. And all these years later, colonization happened more and more. People arriving from Europe in thousands, in droves and droves and droves, and the Māori were go looking at the missionaries going, who are you going to 
Like, who are you going to look after? Are you going to be with us? And European, the government, are going, you need, you need to be with your own people. And so what did the missionaries do? They felt this tug, and the majority of them went and left the mission for the, with the Maori people, and they went with those that to come, and the mission was interrupted. And Maori then left the church in droves as land was robbed in despicable ways in massive amounts. You know that there's still a bill in Parliament today that says that the government can take any Maori land that they want. There's only 4.1% of New Zealand's land is Maori land now. 4.1%. So two years ago, a Green Party MP raised it in Parliament and said, we've probably done enough damage. How about we get rid of this? You know, it didn't even make it to the first reading. It got brought out and they said, nah, we don't want to talk about it. Boom, out. Leave it in there. These, the sadness of that story, it still exists, doesn't it? It's still happening. These things are still happening. So a whole bunch of us began to learn about the story. We began to learn about people like Tafia, King Tafia. We began to learn about Ratana. We began to learn about others and began to see how God had moved so deeply in New Zealand and we were captivated by it. And we were Māori and non-Māori and Tongan and Samoan and, and, and Pākehā and all the rest. One of my best mates is Korean, Mikey. And um, when we would do haka at church or anything like that, he would go hard, man. He was awesome. And he said this to me. He said, you know, the most bizarre thing happens when I do the haka. I feel more Korean. He said, how does that work? <laughs> and you know what he said? He said, because... When I connect with the first story, it's like my Korean story finally has permission to be here. Finally has permission to be here. The church wrote the treaty. The church, kaitiaki o the guardians of the treaty. And the church today are one of the main ones that are saying, oh, that bloody treaty. Why can't Marys just get over it? Disgraceful. Honestly, I just, there's times when I just want to stab people <laughs> in the face. <laughs> uh, uh, repeatedly. Because there's a complete dishonor of our past. And when you look at scripture, they talk about Papa right through. The ancestry that's passed on and on and on and on and on. And somehow we've got to the point of going, we just need to get over this story. But Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't talk about removing a massive chunk of someone's pain because we're here and now and here and now is all that matters. Well, we are not here and now. We are a product of generations and generations and generations and generations and generations so unless you are, we are willing today as the church to be reconcilers, which by the way is the ministry that Jesus left us, not ministry of ignorers or forgetters, <laughs> but reconcilers, we are going to see nothing change. And I tell you the truth, until we can acknowledge the first story here, we will never see revival. We will never see it. My, um, my Samoan friend, um, Vayunga, him and another guy, Oka, were at um, a conference, and um, one of the guys came up to him afterwards, and they said, you know, oh, bro, be mean as if you could do, like, that slap dance thing, you know, and um, they're just like, oh, yeah, 
cool, cool as. Um, and he said to me afterwards, he said, Bride, number one, culture is not meant to be used. It's meant to be engaged in. The whole story, right? It's not like, yeah, it's hucker time. Can we do a hucker right now? We've got, you've got three minutes. We're going to do a poor footy tomorrow. You've got between 10.15 and 10.25. It doesn't work like that. We don't use culture. We engage with people in the story, right? And he said, and the second thing is, even if they asked me to do it, I couldn't do it because they haven't even acknowledged tangata whenua yet. They've done nothing to suggest that my story will be valued. If they can't acknowledge the first story, why would they acknowledge my one? Why is my story important if they can't acknowledge this story? And I want to encourage you, especially for those of you that have Pacific de- descent, you need to reclaim your identity of what it means to be here. You are part of a, 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 a movement of people that had to share the same worldview, the same worldview about the, lo- the land being alive, the same worldview about the water being alive, which is also the Hebrew worldview. Israelite worldview. It's also that. And so a dominant culture has convinced us that there's this total separation, that we are disconnected from the spirituality, that land is like a nothing, and that we, it doesn't matter, it's all going to get destroyed anyway, we're going to heaven. It's false. It's not the story. God wants to restore and redeem all things. And in the meantime, our actions, in fact, you read it right throughout the Old Testament, the land often reflects the sin or the success of the people. The story of what's going on in the land, it arrives, it erupts, it comes up and out. But vice versa, the land speaks to the people and prophesies back because God is in the presence of the land. And if that confuses you, well, then sit in your discomfort, but don't judge because you haven't put enough thought into understanding it if it confuses you. And because it's different, does not mean that we need to demonize it, eh? Kapoi? We had a leader's hui about three weeks ago, and we spent two days talking about Atua Māori without many conclusions. Shock. Horror. Because people have made decisions about things long ago and they're incorrect conclusions that they've drawn. And we need to reclaim the story. And I, I tell you the truth, guys. If we don't reclaim it, then the beauty of what it means to be Samoan in this place gets stifled. The beauty of what it means to be Tongan in this place gets stifled. Your worldview gets stifled. And you have to find a way to thrive amidst oppressive society. And that, if anywhere we could be liberated from that, surely the church would be that place. So a whole bunch of us began to engage in the story of the culture of the land. And do you know what happened to every single person? Every person felt more connected to where they live, right? No matter what culture they were, they felt more accepted and more connected. They understood the treaty and understood how beautiful and how much of a God document that thing is and how they could belong. So there was no bad results. And often I want to tell my people who are freaking out about this stuff at times, What are you worried about? You have nothing to lose. In fact, you can only gain. Because part of my journey is learning to see my dominant culture so that I can die to it and learn to die in it. And you think, well, that feels like losing. Well, then you haven't read the scripture. It says, unless those that seek to keep their life, they lose it. Those that seek to give their life away, they find it. That's the journey. That's what it means to be reconcilers. It means to die that others might live. 
It means to pick up the burden of the land. So that when people say, oh, that bloody Maori's in their flipping treaty, if the church is silent, we should be ashamed. Because that treaty is the only reason I can say this is home. That treaty is the only reason, if you're not Maori, that you can say this is home. And even though it was violated, it is still the anchor that pulls us back towards what was hoped for. Have a think about this, just for one second. If they had honoured Tetiriti, and they had gone about things respectfully, do you know that every single one of us would be able to speak Te Reo? And we would be as comfortable in a marae as we would be anywhere else. Now think about that. Does that feel like God's desire? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Now, why does that get us excited, but the process now to get there does not? Because it's hard, eh? It's hard. You know, it's like for anyone that's been disconnected from their culture and then trying to re-engage, it's hard. This stuff is supposed to, they, our ancestors, my ancestors stuffed up, which means that now we've all got to work really hard. And I want to tell you a story that um, in Nehemiah, it talks about, you know, that Nehemiah basically gets this burden. They've got this land. The walls have been broken down. Their people are scattered. They've essentially become slaves to Babylon. And in Babylon, their language is almost dead. Their stories are almost gone. And Nehemiah goes to the king and is basically like, please let me go back and rebuild the walls. And so he does. And a whole bunch of them, they rebuild the walls and people hate them. And so they had a lot of attacks along the way. But when the walls were rebuilt, the first thing that they do is they bring back the Levites, the musicians. Why? Because the Levites would tell them stories about who they are. The musicians would sing the stories of who they are. The first thing they did for a people that had no walls to dwell in is remind them of where God has been before you, that your present moment matters not as much as your past. In fact, the biblical picture of the future is actually a rowboat. Now, which way do you face when you row? Backwards. So you face the past in order to see the future. Now, when we first started on this journey, you know, we sang the song, Way to a Tapu, when you, the first time I was at the island when we translated it into Te Reo. And um, we came back and we sang it, and someone said to me, are we becoming a Maori church? And I said to them, I was like, well, if we're not that, what are we, and is that better? I mean, oh, <laughs> have a good week. <laughs> I did not see them again. We had a, a group of people that get together that were really concerned about our direction, which was bizarre because we weren't even close to honoring Tetiriti in our church. We'd sung a couple of songs and people were freaking out, you know, like, demons are coming, I can feel it, you know. And they were freaking out about stuff that they did not to, need to be upset about. All of them left. They were so worried, so concerned about the journey. We had another, oh, Cindy Duakiri, a really good friend of mine, she sung once in Taranaki, and they blew the putatara, and someone came up to her and said, you know, Cindy, we are all one in Christ Jesus. You don't need to do this. And she said, yeah, but whose version of one are we? Mine or yours? My version or yours? And that's the problem that, and I, if, you're, if you are Pākehā, I don't, I don't mean to, um, I don't want anyone to feel shame, actually. 
I desire no one to feel shame, but I do desire people to feel pain. Pain is biblical. Shame is not. Pain helps us engage with the story. Shame helps us be ostracized from it. So we had these things where people were saying, you know what, mate? It's not about that. It's about kingdom culture. Well, in kingdom culture, if you are someone and you enter into God's kingdom, you should become more someone than ever before. That's how kingdom culture works. Because God is more someone than anyone. Right? And you're all struggling with that picture, eh? Because you've got that palangi Jesus on the wall, eh? You're like, ah, um, he's, you know, he's still Andrew on the wall, you know. Some. God is the one that's given life to every culture. He's breathed into it. So he is the source of Te Māori. He's the source of the Tongan world. He's the source of the Samoan world. He's the source of the Pākehā world. He is all of these things and more. So when we come to Christ, that part of our identity, the culture, our DNA should become elevated and not diminished. So why is it that people are coming into cultures and they are being diminished? Why is that? Because often, it's usually my people, but not always, are going, it's about kingdom culture, which means we've got a certain way that we like to do things and you need to fit inside of that. That's usually what it means. It doesn't actually mean about what God actually talked about in kingdom culture, what it means to die to self, love the orphan, the widow, all of those things. It's about this flipping how we organize ourselves. And often people think, no, the way we organize ourselves is just like heaven. Rack off. I don't want heaven to be like that. That's disappointing. <laughs> if, if that's what heaven is like, I'm out. It's got to be better than that because we should become the elevated version of ourselves when we touch the one that designed us. When we become face-to-face, when we come face-to-face with him, we become elevated. Elevated. When I was in India, I, I, I was in this church where everyone was, literally everyone was dying of AIDS. And it's still one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And they sung their own songs. And, you know, every time people sing and they express themselves in the way they were designed, whoa, my heart leaps. Because for once they're not imitating that which they were not designed to imitate. Jacob is never going to be a good version of me. Right? And as long as I make him feel like he has to be something like me, He's going to live his whole life feeling second rate. His whole life. We've got to stop doing that in church. We've got to liberate people to say, you need to bring the fullness of you. But the only way that we can rebuild these ancient walls is to rebuild the ancient walls by going back and to look at the Maori story first and how we fit because of that story. Yeah. See, I, I was in Palmerston North once, and I was driving around, and I drove past the Samoan AOG, and I've got heaps of friends that are part of Samoan AOG, so I don't mean any disrespect by this. But I look, went past the sign, and I just felt like, man, it's kind of dumb that, you know, like, it's like a church just for one type of people. And then I felt like God speak to me, and he said, you know, every church has a sign. They just don't know it. It's in the way that they do things. Most churches 
are designed for one type of people. And we have to be able to acknowledge that. How do we remove the sign? Remove the veil. How do we do that? How do we stop being blind? Well, we know the story. You can't say anything about Aotearoa if you don't know the story. Yeah? Because if you don't know the story, you don't know how you fit. Uh, if you don't know how you fit, you also don't know the pain of the past. If you don't know the pain of the past, then you can't be part of healing the past. If you can't be part of healing the past, then you can't be part of the ministry of reconciliation. And if you can't be part of the ministry of reconciliation, then you can't be part of the kingdom of God and what he's doing here. Oh, that's a bit heavy, eh? But it's all good because I go home, so if you don't like me, I don't really care. (laughs) You know, Māori have made many um, compromises. And actually, if you are not Pākehā, you will understand this as well. You've come and your existence in New Zealand has been shaped by compromise of being an outsider, of being made to toe the line in order to just, you know, toe the line. You don't want to get stood out and be like, we don't do that there. It's like my friend who's, um, well, in my wedding line, I've got like the United Nations. It was like, um, I've got two Tongans, a Māori fella, a Samoan fella, a Samoan Tongan, two Pākehā people, and a Korean. And um, so it was literally the United Nations, you know. And um, my mate works for one of the biggest law firms in Auckland. Um, a real awesome Tongan family. His mum and dad were like the high court uh, judges for Tonga. And um, he's in this real well-to-do um, organization. And they sat him down at one point and they said, you know, you know, David, we want you to um, be better at speaking out and we want you to be better at looking at us in the eye and all these types of things. You know, but for him, he was just being respectful is honor, honoring their rangatiratanga, their leadership, honoring that space, whereas they were going, no, you need to toe the line, you need to step up, and you need to be like the rest of us. White. <laughs> and that's not what they're saying, because they haven't thought about it, but that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. And we've got to be better at the church of listening. You know, I'm never going to see Joseph truly My eyes will never be able to perceive him truly, his heritage, his story, if I can't see the first story. See, people often say, well, it's not about one people, it's about many people. And then my response to that is, ka pai. So then why is New Zealand totally dictated by one people? Not Māori, far out. They're way down the list of influence. Dominant culture are often blind to their dominance. Often. That's why I always have to ask God, God, keep showing me. Show, show me what I've inherited. Show me the stuff that, so that I can have to see. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, no shame. If you're my culture, kāpai, woo, yeah, awesome. But we've just got some things, com- some compromises that we've got to make. We've got to learn to see. And for all of us, all of us have a responsibility to see the Māori story. And I, I say that, you know, if you, that's part of reclaiming New Zealand as a Pacific nation. Hey, it's part of restoring that story, part of saying we have something here and we will not forget it. We will not let it go because my Pacific brothers and sisters, you were part of a story many generations ago. And if you aren't part of restoring this story, then your story will never take its rightful place either. Yeah? My daughter is going to grow up 
thinking that I am a normal Pākehā person, thinking that Pākehā people are like me, that they will engage with the story, that they will speak their language, that they will be engaged in the history. And I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to brag in any way because, you know, I get slammed all the time in this journey, which is good because I need to. But she's going to think that that's a normality. And we've got to get to that point, you know. The people like the, the Don Brashers, bless their heart, their worldview is dying. Literally. With his generation, it is dying. But when something dies, we have to also know what is going to replace it. And I think we're a little bit just crossing our fingers and hoping that something good is going to replace it. But nothing good will replace it unless we know the story and we engage with what God is doing here. Let me finish with one story by King Tafio. King Tafio, all up, right up to Papakura even, Waikato Iwi, all around these areas. Now, Governor Gray had decided to violate the, con the agreement that they had between Māori, and so they basically waged war. So th this is what the government did. They basically made a law whereby Māori, it was illegal to fight government troops, and if you fought the troops, that was permission for them to take the land. So what did the government do? They waged war because that was, they were following the law because if you fought back, well, I'll just take your land. So that's what they did. They went through Waikato, and they went to war with King Tafio, who was a beautiful Christian man. And he, uh, they lost, Waikato lost, and as he was taking his people back, they went back to king country, which is why king country is called king country, because that's where the king took the people, yeah? So they took the people back down there. And in the process of this, missionaries tipped off uh, the troops about a place called Rangiaufia. And Rangiaufia was a place where the women and the children were. It's where all their food stocks were. And there was a, a, a code of conduct that Māori had designed uh, in order to do warfare uh, well, as well as you can do warfare. That, for example, many Māori, um, the stories of them were saving the British troops from their own gunfire in the middle of war. They had an agreement where they would, at night time, go and collect their sick and bandage them up and take them back. So this missionary tips them off to Rangiaufia. So the troops go to Rangiaufia and they slaughter everyone. They kill the woman, they kill the old people, they kill everyone and they take all the food and it sends the Māori world in that area into rage. It's like, you, how could you do that? So King Tafia, in the midst of his anger, he says, Māku anō e hanga i tōku nei whare. He says, I will rebuild my house. And then he goes on to say how he would rebuild his house. He says, I will rebuild it with the least of these. And he starts naming these shrubs, not like the mighty Cody or the Tōtara, not these big-ass trees, but shrubs. He says, I will rebuild it with this and this and this, and by the grace and the peace of God, we will, we will live again. You know, I imagine the pain of being able to say that. While his troops were leaving their bases because they just lost their wives, they just lost their grandmothers, their kuya, their korowa, their kids had been slaughtered. And so they'd gone back, and then Māori got picked off one by one as they just 
their minds were gone almost, the pain of it, the sadness. And right in the middle of that, Tafiel says, I will rebuild my house. Maybe we are the shrubs. Maybe we're part of that shrub. We might be the least. We don't have the massive buildings. But because we're the em- not the empire, we might actually be able to see. And I just want to say that to you guys. Power isn't in size. It's an identity. Knowing who you are and what you can say in the midst of a story. You have got however many people here. It does not matter. What matters is that you know what you carry. And your ambition should not be to become 5,000 people. It should become to be all that you were called to be. And if that means 5,000 people, car pie, but that's not the goal. Identity is the goal. And then we can be part of that ministry of reconciliation. Kapai? There's, um, there's actually so much to say in this, but I think I've talked enough. So I'm going to pray. Lord, I, <coughs> I just thank you for the gate. I thank you for what you are doing in this house. Lord, that, that there is privilege in the small setting because sometimes we're not as blinded by the lights Sometimes we're not as blinded by the show and we can truly see what you might be doing. And you know, guys, I was at a a conference not long ago where one of the first, there's a big conference, and one of the first things someone on the stage said was, you know, we need to get rid of this um, Maori Pākehā stuff. It's about everyone. And I just felt like punching him in the face, and that feels wrong to say that in a prayer. I'm still closing my eyes, but I'm actually just speaking. But we've got to be part of reconciling. And Lord, I pray, would you help us to do so? Let us be the generation that knows the story so we can care about the story, so that we can bring our story into the midst of it. Lord, we are not called to suppress our culture, but to express our culture. And I ask God, would you show us how to do that? Show us how to do that, that our hearts might be full. Lord, willing to learn, willing to die to self, willing to go low. For anyone that feels shame, I break that power off your life right now in Jesus' name. For those that feel pain, I pray, Lord Jesus, speak through it. Speak through it. Begin to speak to people about what their responsibility is in the midst of this. Lord Jesus, speak right now in Jesus' name. Unlock, Lord, I believe that as we unlock this, the prophetic mandate that you've placed on this land will be unleashed in every tribe and every tongue. That we become the land that sets many lands free. That in Africa, they're free finally to not wear a suit, to not sing Hillsong, but that they can be themselves. That we can set people free if we know who we are. Our identity liberates, liberates here, it'll liberate there. We become missionaries that don't colonize, but serve and love. And I pray that, God, break our heart for this land. Break our heart for this land. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know what more to say than that, guys, but um, yeah, kapai. You want to put our hands together for Aaron? That's so good, bro. Thank you so much. I know there's a lot of challenging things there. Um, I felt overwhelmed just with my own culture, you know, and um, yeah, it's just, uh, 
I'll finish off with this. Just uh, thank you so much, bro. Appreciate your your heart, and also, um, yeah, just the boldness, bro. It's not an easy thing to to bring that kind of word, and also just to be um, in the place that's not familiar to yours. But I thank you so much, bro. I appreciate you. So let's give him another round of applause, guys. Thank you so much, Aaron. I want to challenge us in our, in our thinking. You, know, you don't want to know what heaven looks like. We always talk about the golden streets and all that stuff. Uh, but the Bible says this, and sometimes I was talking to a, a friend of mine. He's, he's an actual theologian, like an actual, like an actual guy. That's, I think, you know, sometimes in church we say, oh, because you know, I'm a theologian, but really, you're not a theologian. But this guy is talking about stuff, and then he blew my mind because he's telling you want to know what heaven looks like? It says that, um, he showed me the scripture, and he goes, a great multitude, and no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Because I think we have this picture that everyone's going to wear white, and everyone's going to have no face, and just saying, ah, ah. But these languages, these tribes, these people, standing before the throne of the Lamb. And yes, they're wearing white robes, but they're holding palm branches, but the amazing thing is that they were singing out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Awesome. So good, man. So um, as we do, we're going to catch up after this, have some kai together. But Aaron, thank you so much. Um, we're going to um, get one of the baskets left up here. If you want to just um, bring a koha um, to bless Aaron's time, please just bring it up and we'll leave one of the baskets at the front. Um, but the rest of us, Fano, please stay around. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be some people at the front. But it's been a brilliant morning of just time together. Remember next week, you've got Ane speaking as well. So stick around. Don't just run off. Or so I'll run after you. But we've got Kai next door, some food next door. So stick around and uh, catch up with someone. Okay, bless you all. Be blessed.